Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. In the cover of darkness, U.S. forces dealt a significant blow to the ISIS terrorist group. President Biden today announces that the leader is dead. We bring you the details of how this high-level operation played out, including an unexpected helicopter malfunction. As six NYPD officers have already been shot this year, Mayor Eric Adams is trying to make the city safer. He invited President Biden to New York City, where they outlined their plans to prevent gun violence. Just one day before the Beijing Olympics, victims of the Chinese Communist Party protest outside the U.S. Capitol. They say some U.S. companies are complicit. Facebook's parent company's shares plunged 26%, erasing more than $230 billion in market value. The ripple effect reaches other social media companies, including Twitter and Snap. GoFundMe has frozen more than $10 million raised to support the Canadian truckers protesting vaccine mandates. Meanwhile, protest organizers say their concerned agitators will attempt to discredit their movement. And there is speculation that one has already arrived. And today, more than 100 million people were under winter weather alerts. A severe winter storm coated roads with thick snow and knocked out power for hundreds of thousands of Americans. The leader of ISIS is now dead. This after a U.S. Special Forces operation took him out. Troops tried their best to prevent killing innocent lives, but the Pentagon reports at least three innocent people tragically died during the operation. NTD's Melina Wisecup has the details. The successful operation in the Middle East comes at a time when President Biden's handling of foreign affairs is under the microscope. But now the president has a chance to redeem himself with a successful operation, counterterrorism operation that, that effectively killed the ISIS leader. And President Biden wasn't shy to quickly take credit for that. Here's his announcement from earlier today. Last night, operating on my orders, the United States military forces successfully moved a major terrorist threat to the world, the global leader of ISIS. He died as U.S. forces approached by exploding a bomb that killed himself and members of his family, the same death as the previous ISIS leader. No American lives were lost, but there was an issue with the helicopter early on in the operation. It was abandoned on site and had to be destroyed. The Pentagon reported that Abdullah was killed along with a small number of his followers, but no American lives were lost. Uh, two hours on site, um, and it speaks to the level of care uh, that U.S. Special Operations Forces used in this mission. At least three innocent people died during the operation, according to the Pentagon. But rescue workers reported that there were at least 13 people who died, among them women and children. The Pentagon is still investigating if those deaths were caused by American action. The calculated efforts of our forces succeeded in protecting more than 10 women, children and babies. The decision to execute a raid instead of an airstrike put American forces at risk. But Biden said the troops handled the mission well. And I directed the Department of Defense to take every precaution possible to minimize civilian casualties. Knowing that this terrorist had chosen to surround himself with families, including children. 
This operation in the Middle East comes as 3,000 U.S. troops are now headed to Europe, a bid to show support to NATO allies as Russia tension looms. Today, troops from Russia and Belarus held joint combat training drills in Belarus, adding to the 100,000 troop buildup near Ukraine. And lawmakers are still working on a package of sanctions to place on Russia to deter them, them from invading. But the Senate is wrapping up for the week, so it will be at least until next week before we see any movement in Congress on those Russia sanctions. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. As New York City Mayor Eric Adams tries to tackle the issue of gun violence, President Biden paid him a visit today. Biden says his administration wants to provide the city with half a billion dollars to help prevent gun violence. NTD's Jason Perry has the story. Mayor Adams said he visited the White House previously and talked to President Biden in the Oval Office about gun violence. I was about to walk out and he grabbed me by my arm and turned me around and looked into my eyes. And he says, Eric, what can we do? And I told him the help we needed. And I asked him several things, but two of them was one, to come to New York. Adams also said he wants everyone to come together in a 9-11 style response to gun violence. And Biden said he called on Congress to pass a budget that would provide cities like New York with an additional $300 million for community policing. This is when police officers interact with the community to try to build trust with the residents. Biden said he wants to provide additional funding as well. I don't hear many communities, no matter what their color, their background, saying I don't want more protection in my community. I don't know. I haven't found one of those yet. And uh, so I've asked the Congress to provide $200 million to invest in community violence intervention programs as well. One intervention program in New York City, for example, sends people to communities to de-escalate conflicts and interrupt violence. The program works with those who are most likely to commit crimes or to be victims of gun violence. Another issue on the table, so-called ghost guns. These are guns that can allegedly be assembled from unfinished parts that require machining and drilling before they can be used. The finished guns have no serial number, so they can't be traced. Biden announced that the Department of Justice in the spring will issue a final rule to regulate such guns. At the same time, the administration says it wants to deter criminals from using them. If you commit a crime with a ghost gun, not only are state and local prosecutors going to come after you, but expect federal charges and federal prosecutions as well. Kathy Hochul and NYPD Commissioner LaShance Sewell were also in attendance. Sewell had to leave the meeting early to visit a police officer who was shot and is now being released from the hospital. She reminded everyone that six NYPD officers have been shot this year, including two who died. Jason Perry, NTD News, New York. Shares of Facebook owner Meta fell 26% on Thursday. It's among the worst single-day wipeouts in market value for a U.S. company. The social media giant issued a dismal forecast, blaming Apple's privacy changes and increased competition. Here's more. Facebook owner Meta Platforms found itself in an alternate reality Thursday, as shares of the company fell as much as 26%, dragging down the entire U.S. stock market and spilling over into Europe where tech stocks posted some of the steepest declines and sent a ripple effect across global financial markets. 
Meta was set to lose a fifth of its market value, erasing more than $200 billion, which would shave off nearly a full percent from the NASDAQ Composite Index's market value and about half a percent from the S&P 500. The huge drop followed a dismal forecast from Meta, which blamed Apple's privacy changes and increased competition from rivals like TikTok. The company formerly known as Facebook also reported a decline in daily active users from the previous quarter for the first time ever. Facebook was an unmitigated disaster. I think Facebook has a Mount Everest-like battle, an uphill climb to get back to growth. Because of what we're seeing on the digital advertising side, the, the privacy issues, TikTok competition, you know, this is a company, they changed their name, but the strategy and the monetization continues to be social media. And this was the dark days in terms of what we saw from the quarter. The so-called FANG stocks, including Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google's Alphabet, has seen around $400 billion in market value disappear in the opening weeks of this year as investors expect policy tightening from the Federal Reserve to erode the industry's sky-high valuations. The disappointment over Meta's earnings and subsequent stock drop called to mind the bursting tech bubble of 2000. If Thursday's losses hold, the decline would mark the social media giant's worst one-day loss since it went public in 2012. Victims of the Chinese Communist Party protested outside the U.S. Capitol today. The Beijing Olympics is starting tomorrow, and some are comparing it to the 1936 games in Nazi Germany. Here's NTD's Iris Tao with more. Uyghurs, Tibetans and Hong Kongers on Thursday rallied outside the U.S. Capitol. They decry the Beijing Olympics, citing a long list of human rights abuses by the Chinese Communist Party. The games are slated to begin in just one day. This is the equivalent of the 1936 Nazi Olympics uh, in Berlin. Congressman Chris Smith attended the protest. He warns that Beijing will act with more impunity if its propaganda through the Olympics succeeds. Uh, and now we have it in 2022 with a, an ongoing massive destruction and genocide against the Uyghurs. And everyone else is subjected to just horrible mistreatment, uh, including torture and death. Uh, the Falun Gong, for example, are having their organs taken. Chinese leader Xi Jinping on the same day promised a, quote, safe and splendid Olympics. But Wang Dan, a Chinese dissident and survivor of the Tiananmen Square massacre, says any promise by the CCP is not to be believed. Well, the traditional CCP is a big liar. We all know the history, so any word come out from their mouth, I will not believe it. An activist from Hong Kong says the same. He's seen China crush the freedoms of the Hong Kongers. So I think you're going to see the repeated pattern of China breaking its promises and only try to serve its own interests when it's needed. Also in the spotlights are the American companies they say contributes to China's surveillance, military and human rights abuses. This report right here put together by the rally organizer has a scorecard for eight of them, including Apple, Facebook and Intel, which is the sponsor of the Beijing Olympics. Um, you know, so at some point, corporate America needs to pivot and said, you know, mea culpa, we made a mistake. Uh, we're enabling cruelty that is just like the Nazis. 
New data analysis shows that corporate sponsors of the Beijing Olympics spent more than $30 million lobbying Washington in 2021. Iris Tao, NTD News. And on the eve of the Beijing Winter Olympics, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, joined by witnesses, shed light on the egregious human rights abuses going on in China. Here's that story. The People's Republic of China is perpetrating a campaign of gross human rights violations, including genocide. During a congressional hearing, Pelosi listed the horrific human rights abuses taking place at the hands of the Chinese communist regime. Yet the Chinese government works desperately to cover up their abuses, rewriting history and projecting a very different image to the world. Pelosi said for years many in Congress have fought to hold Beijing accountable, including to deny them the honor of hosting the Olympics. Now the IOC, aided by corporate sponsors, once again turns a blind eye with the 2022 Winter Olympics just to bolster their bottom lines. Pelosi also reminded all the athletes not to trust any of the CCP's propaganda. Do not risk incurring the anger of the Chinese government because they are ruthless. And in the lead up to the Beijing Olympics, fear is gripping athletes and personnel who have tested positive for COVID-19. A Belgian Olympian recounted her isolation nightmare in a tearful video. So, Belgian skeleton racer Kim Meilmans was tested positive upon her arrival in Beijing, leading to a three-day stay in isolation. After it ended Wednesday with a negative test, the 25-year-old thought she was going to the Olympic Village, but she broke down in tears facing what seemed to be a second round of isolation. I'm supposed to stay here for... Um, Another seven days with two PCRs a day and no contact with anybody else. She says she was surprised when the ambulance she boarded after leaving isolation drove past the Olympic Village and sent her to another facility. I am allowed to slide alone. I am, we are not even sure I will ever be allowed to return to the village. And obviously, this is very hard for me. Her teary video on social media brought immediate attention. The International Olympic Committee soon intervened, and hours later, Milemans was transported to the Winter Olympic Village. It seems like the video and especially also the efforts of my Olympic Committee have really paid off. At uh, 11.35 p.m., uh, there was a knock on my door, and I was escorted to the Olympic Village. I am now in a wing that's just isolation, but at least I'm back in the village. Belgium's head of mission Beijing 2022 show understanding of the COVID safety measures during the games, but said the athlete must remain central. 55 new COVID-19 infections were identified among related personnel Wednesday, including 29 cases from new airport arrivals. According to the Beijing 2022 medical expert panel, a total of 287 positive tests have been confirmed so far since January 23rd. The opening ceremonies for the Winter Games are just a day away now, with the first medals being awarded the day after. NTD's Dave Martin gives us the rundown of what to watch for in the second of his three-part preview. Snowboarding was introduced to the Winter Olympics in 1998 and Sean White has helped the Americans dominate ever since. 
White has won three Olympic golds in the halfpipe event and at 35 is still one of the favorites to do so again, though he finished fourth at last year's World Championships. On the women's side, fellow American Jamie Anderson, who is the only snowboarder to win multiple medals at the 2018 Games, will be the favorite to win her third straight gold in the women's slope style. The biathlon discipline originates from the snowy Scandinavian forest where people hunted on skis with rifles. Combining skiing with shooting, the competition debuted at the 1960 Olympics with a single event that now has grown to 11. Germany and Norway have historically dominated this discipline. Freestyle skiing debuted in the 1992 Games and has swelled to 13 events. The aerial events, halfpipe, slopestyle, and moguls are all judged competitions, while the ski cross is the lone timed event. Canada's Mikhail Kingsbury, who won gold in the men's moguls at the 2018 Games, is the most accomplished mogul skier of all time and is the favorite to win in Beijing. On the women's side, France's Perrine Lafon also won gold in the women's moguls at the 2018 Games and is favored to repeat. Speed skating includes seven events on both the men's and women's side, making it the largest sport at these games. The discipline features the most decorated Winter Olympian and Dutch speed skater Irene Voost. Voost's 11 medals are the most at these games all time, and she's already the first athlete to win an individual gold at four different Winter Olympics. On the men's side, fellow countryman Sven Kramer already boasts nine Olympic medals, including four golds, and is a favorite to add to his haul. Figure skating has long been the signature event at the Winter Games. The oldest discipline on the schedule, it was permanently added back in 1924. The graceful movements, high-risk jumps, and dizzying spins make it one of the most popular attractions. The U.S., with 51 medals all-time, has long been the most successful at this event and will be pinning their hopes to 22-year-old Nathan Chen, who's a three-time world champion. Chen will have his hands full, though, at Japan's Yuzuru Hanyu, the two-time defending Olympic champion. Dave Martin, NTD News, New York. Coming up, today more than 100 million people were under winter weather alerts as a severe winter storm coated roads with thick snow and knocked out power for hundreds of thousands of Americans. And a Michigan high school student is suspended for texting privately about his religious beliefs. That's what he's alleging. We've got more on that when we return here on NTD News. Sleet, snow and ice have bombarded more than 2,000 miles in the eastern and central U.S. and hundreds of thousands of people are now without electricity. NTD's Chenny Wu tells us more. This was the scene in Champaign, Illinois Wednesday, where vehicles large and small had trouble staying on the roads. And drivers weren't the only travelers impacted by the storm. Amtrak has canceled multiple train routes, and more than 4,000 U.S. flights were also canceled as of Thursday morning. That's as more than 100 million people in 25 states stretching from the Mexican to Canadian borders were under winter weather alerts. And more than 200,000 customers were without power across the U.S. Communities reported freezing rain from Texas through the Ohio River Valley. Parts of Illinois and Indiana have been inundated with more than a foot of snow, while more than 20 inches have piled up in parts of Colorado. However, it seems like not everyone is bothered by the cold. A polar bear at the Brookfield Zoo near Chicago seems right at home, rolling in the snow after the area was hit by a major snowstorm. Experts say the weather system will continue to blast the country through Friday. Chenny Wu, NTD News. 
While some are worried about violent crime going up in New York City, there seems to be a new phenomena emerging, subway fires. The city's subway system has seen multiple fires over the past few days, and many of them are believed to be lit on purpose. NTD's Arian Pazdar spoke with a passenger who experienced one of them. A man is believed to have set himself on fire last week just five blocks from here at the 23rd Street station. And then a day later, another fire broke out right here at this station on the same train line. Cell phone footage shows the fire inside a train car halted in a Manhattan subway station. Heard people sh shouting and making some noise about um, smoke and fire. And so typical day in New York, you're, you know, you're used to whatever's going on. So, um, but then I did see that there was a fire. Brandon Cochran was the passenger filming this footage. He says it looked like someone lit a piece of luggage on fire, which then melted into the seats. Unfortunately, there's nothing you could do because there's no fire extinguishers, there's no blankets, there's nothing that you can do. So the fire department came down there and they put out the fire. The Metropolitan Transit Authority, or MTA, operates the city subway system. In a statement to NTD, the agency said, we need to deal with the reality that people with mental health issues are too frequently creating situations that are dangerous and terrifying for our riders and also for themselves. Neither the MTA nor the NYPD confirmed whether the two subway fires are connected or if the individuals suffer from mental illness. Both of these incidents took place late last week, but this week a third fire had ignited on the same train line, but further north this time on 181st Street. Arian Pastar, NTD News, New York. What qualifies as protected free speech is still debated on school grounds and in court. A new case has emerged in Michigan. There, a high school allegedly suspended a student for sharing his religious beliefs and prohibited him from making religious comments on his own social media profile. NTD's Miguel Moreno has the details. A student from Plainwell, Michigan, is taking his high school to federal court. David Stout says he was suspended in October, in part because he texted his friend privately off school grounds about his Christian views on homosexuality, views that appear to have offended his friend. And so the school just came in and said, you can't talk about these things. Stout's attorney, David Coleman, accuses Plainwell High School of violating the students' First Amendment rights to free speech and to the free exercise of religion. According to the complaint, the school determined that Stout violated its bullying, cyberbullying, harassment policy for the following. Texting his friend that God would not accept homosexual conduct because it is a sin. Having an on-campus conversation regarding religious beliefs with a friend. Allegedly laughing at some racial and homophobic jokes months before the suspension and failing to self-report what the school considers inappropriate behavior. And then when they suspended him, the school also told David that you cannot post any religious comments on your social media. We contacted the Plainwell High School principal, but we haven't heard back. The complaint alleges that the principal indicated to Stout's parents that he's a great kid, but should speak with good purpose, meaning to not offend anyone and stop sharing his Christian beliefs with others. None of these things that David talked about were illegal, improper, it did not cause any disruption at the school. He has his right to free speech and to free exercise of religion. Obviously, everybody's not going to agree. 
but that's not illegal. In the text discussion with his friend, Stout allegedly said that he would extend love towards people who practice homosexuality because God commands it. Common says they want the judge to block the school from punishing others in the same way and to wipe the suspension from Stout's school record. Miguel Moreno, NTD News. A number of students on the West Coast have refused to wear masks. Some say they're following the example of California's governor after his maskless photo was published from the NFC Championship game. NTD's David Lamb has the details. Some students in California have had enough of wearing masks. Period. My entire class has been forced to sit outside because I am refusing to wear a mask. This student said on Tuesday that she just wants to learn at school with the other students. But this is what happens when you stand up for your rights. This comes after government officials were seen in controversial photos at the NFC championship game. I went to school knowing that I would not put on a mask after recent events that happened where political figures were seen indoors not wearing masks, taking pictures, the same political figures that mandate that other people wear masks. According to parent-based organization Let Them Breathe, the honor student says he will not return to his school until things change. NBC San Diego reported that at least three students have been sent home. They say they were influenced by the governor. Students at a school district in Central California's Oakdale also refused to wear masks. They were sent to the gym. On Sunday, Governor Gavin Newsom posed maskless with former basketball player Magic Johnson. San Francisco Mayor London Breed and Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti were also present. Newsom responded saying he had his mask on the rest of the time except for a drink of water. Currently, the state's indoor public mask mandate is set to expire on February 15th. David Lamb, Entity News, California. California's unemployment payouts during the pandemic was hit by potentially millions of cases of fraud. The program initially deferred requiring recipients to prove their eligibility. And now that the state is asking for that proof, most people are ignoring it. California's effort to reclaim over $20 billion of fraudulent unemployment insurance has fallen far short of its goal. Out of 1.4 million people contacted to provide their eligibility for the government payments, 80% failed to respond. The fraudulent claims stemmed from the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program, or PUA. The program was designed to help those who would normally not qualify for benefits from the Employment Development Department, or EDD, like small business owners and self-employed independent contractors. The PUA ended last fall, but many of the 2.9 million recipients were not qualified to receive benefits. State Senator Patricia Bates said the fraud could cause California businesses and taxpayers as much as $30 billion to bail out EDD. When the program began, if applicants sought the minimum $167 weekly payment, then the federal law did not require them to immediately provide proof of work or income. But the Governor's Office of Emergency Services wrote that all applicants did not need to submit any documentation at first. And since then, the federal government has asked for that proof from recipients. Further, the U.S. Department of Labor had not relaxed its expectations for fraud prevention despite the pandemic, according to a report from the California State Auditor in January last year. The report said the EDD did not take immediate action against the Labor Department's fraud warnings. Several California district attorneys reported widespread unemployment fraud in county jails and state prisons. 
Coming up, Japan is making some major changes to its financial ties with China. Billions in annual aid are now coming to an end. And a Chinese man was sentenced to over two years in a U.S. prison for a fake iPhone scheme that cost Apple about $1 million. That and more in just a moment here on NTD News. Japan seems to be re-examining its financial ties to China. It's a relationship that stretches back decades, but now those ties are coming to an end. NTD's Tiffany Meyer has the story. The country is halting its aid to China, which it's been handing over for over 40 years. The funding normally covers important areas for economic growth, including finance, technology, infrastructure projects in the energy sector, and communications. But just how much aid has Japan been giving? According to Japan's official development assistance department, Japan provided 32 billion U.S. dollars to China in 2015. Of that money, 1.35 billion was non-reimbursable, meaning China doesn't need to pay it back. Another 29 million went to loans with terms and conditions favorable to China. And $1.6 billion were earmarked for technical project assistance. Those numbers represent what Japan gave China in just a single year. But what prompted Japan to aid China in the first place? Back in the 1980s, China was still a developing country and was just starting to open its doors to foreign relations. Like the U.S. and other democratic countries, Japan had believed the communist regime would become more democratic through trade and foreign aid. Those nations didn't realize until years later it was actually doing the opposite. Now, the Chinese Communist Party is seen as moving further and further away from democracy and freedom. For Japan, there's also another factor in play, pushing it to stop the aid. That is, China didn't tell its people about the Japanese aid. On the contrary, Beijing has been souring relations between the two nations, rather than publicly fostering them by revealing the aid. The tactic is a common one from Beijing's playbook. It's usually pulled out when the regime is in crisis mode and in need of a common enemy. The so-called enemy nation is then used to unite Chinese citizens and direct their attention away from domestic problems. A Chinese man is set to spend over two years in a U.S. prison. He was sentenced on Tuesday for his part in a conspiracy to defraud Apple out of more than a million dollars. All through a fake iPhone scheme. Wu Hai Tung immigrated to the U.S. in 2013 to earn a master's degree. From 2016 to 2019, Wu had fake iPhones from China shipped to him in Hong Kong. The fake devices had international mobile equipment identity numbers and serial numbers corresponding to genuine iPhones. He and his conspirators returned the fake devices to Apple, claiming they are genuine, and had them replaced with real iPhones. Then they sold them in China. The scheme cost Apple about $1 million. Wu was ordered to pay about $2 million in restitution and penalties. Two other Chinese citizens, including Wu's wife, were found guilty of similar offenses. Wu's wife got five months in prison, and the other person is set to be sentenced next month. 
Coming up, we'll be hearing from experts about what the Russia-Ukraine tensions might mean for Taiwan. And Russian President Putin is expected to meet Chinese leader Xi on Friday. The agenda are so-called Sino-Russian gas pipeline, as well as security issues. GoFundMe has frozen the more than $10 million raised for truckers protesting vaccine mandates in Canada. And as the demonstration enters its sixth day, organizers share their biggest concern that agitators will stir up conflict to smear the movement. NTD's Grace Coulter has the details. The organizers of Freedom Convoy 2022 held a press conference Thursday. They announced that their GoFundMe campaign has officially been halted. The campaign, which raised over 10 million Canadian dollars, was placed under review Wednesday. GoFundMe says this is to ensure the fundraiser complies with the company's terms of service and applicable laws. On the same day the funds were frozen, Ottawa City Councillor Diane Deans called for GoFundMe to cease sending money to the truckers. I want to ask the mayor if he will pick up the phone and call GoFundMe in the States direct, directly and demand that they cease and desist sending money to these unlawful protesters. She also said the mayor should ask the Canadian Prime Minister to demand the same. In addition, she said they're considering legal action against GoFundMe. We need to cut off the pipeline of funding to these um, uh, people that are unlawfully uh, mercenaries, if you will, that are unlawfully protesting and occupying our communities. The truckers have been protesting in Canada's capital for six days now. They say they aren't leaving until the government lifts all vaccine mandates and other pandemic restrictions. A former Royal Canadian Mounted Police officer spoke at the Freedom Convoy press conference. He left his job after publicly opposing the mandates and is now helping with the demonstration. He expressed that his biggest concern is agitators infiltrating the protest. My primary concern is individuals or groups with potential to deliberately instigate conflict with the Freedom Convoy movement in order to discredit the Freedom Convoy 2022. Organizers say they're committed to a lawful, peaceful protest and have disavowed any calls for or acts of violence or vandalism. According to online videos, a woman named Ramana Didulo and her followers arrived at the demonstration Wednesday afternoon. Didulo proclaims herself to be the Queen of Canada. According to news reports, she has claimed that the Pope and all cardinals were shot last year and that she is working with U.S. Special Forces. Lawyer and political commentator Karima Rawls, who's on the scene, captured videos of Dadulo, where she called for the removal of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. A host from Rebel News, which has numerous reporters on the ground covering the protest, took to Twitter and warned, everyone be aware that this woman has arrived at the Truckers for Freedom protest to discredit everyone. Meanwhile, people supporting the protest are making sure the truckers stay well fed. These women brought hundreds of Polish sausages and baked goods for the truckers. 
They told Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson they support the truckers because they don't want to live under an oppressive government like the one they fled. We come from communist country and we came here because we didn't want to have oppression. We wanted to live in a free country and for the last two years we're living like prisoners. We are being told to stay at home. Uh, we're told not to go to the restaurant, not to go to the church. I mean, this is unbelievable. During communism times, we were able and free to go to the church. And there were times over here where, where we couldn't. So I, I really can't, can't take it anymore. So She said they will bring the truckers food regularly until the protest ends. Truckers protesting in Alberta along the U.S.-Canada border are still in negotiations with local officials. Grace Coulter, NTD News. There are still question marks over whether Russia will invade Ukraine, and many analysts agree it's unlikely to happen during the Beijing Olympics. But there are concerns that the Chinese regime is closely observing how the world reacts. Some British lawmakers fear if Russia's aggression goes unchallenged, the Chinese regime might see it as an opportunity to invade Taiwan. NTD's Jane Werrell brings us more on this. The Prime Minister has warned Russia that invading Ukraine would be a political and military disaster for the world. But the long-term threats from the Chinese Communist Party haven't gone onto the radar. Labour MP Graham Stringer is in the Foreign Affairs Committee. He says it's unlikely that Russia will invade Ukraine, but warns of the threats from both Russia and China. I think it would be very difficult for the West if China was to invade Taiwan at the present time and Russia were, were simultaneously uh, to invade the Ukraine. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, nobody knows what's in Putin's mind or President Xi's mind. But I think as far as Russia is concerned, they've achieved uh, a good part of what they wanted, which was to get the world's attention on Ukraine and their completely unreasonable demands to restrict the freedom of the countries uh, near to uh, Russia. So people are talking about it. China's Xi Jinping and Russia's Vladimir Putin will be meeting later this week at the Beijing Olympics opening ceremony. What do you think we can expect from that? <laughs> I wish I knew. Um, I think one of the things that hasn't been much talked about in the press is that I think it's unlikely if Russia are going to invade Ukraine, which I doubt may, that they would do it uh, before the end of the Olympic Games in China. China would frown very deeply on having the world's attention uh, move from what they see as a showpiece to highlight uh, Chinese culture, Chinese sport, uh, the Chinese economy. So I don't think anything's going to happen. What they will discuss, I don't know. And in all this, one has to remember that China is an economic giant. It's the second uh, biggest economy in the world. And Russia is a minnow. Uh, Russia's economy is about the size of Italy's or Spain's. It's a huge uh, a huge country and were they to go to war with the Ukraine it would cost them and they would be then at the mercy of China. I think long term as China grows if it continues to grow uh, then it is a threat 
uh, to Western democracies. They hate democracy. I mean, you talk about the Chinese Communist Party. I just think it is more accurate to talk about a Chinese dictatorship uh, in, in China. So I think long term, because they're so powerful, uh, they're much more of a worry than Russia. But Russia, although it's a, a minnow economically, has nuclear uh, weapons and it has a big army. So we have to be worried about them as well. Conservative MP Henry Smith, also in the Foreign Affairs Committee, tells me it's vital that the West takes action. But I think this is all about what signals the West sends and what reactions to aggression uh, the West uh, comes back with. And I think if there was to be a Russia uh, incursion into Ukraine, I still think that's a, a big if, but if that was uh, to happen, um, then I'm sure that would embolden uh, the Communist Party uh, leadership in Beijing to start thinking about similar action uh, against Taiwan, even if that may be several years down the line. Uh, what they are looking for is what the West's reaction is, and anything other than a firm reaction from the West, uh, I think, is a green light for Beijing. How close do you think Russia and China are in terms of their strategic cooperation? Well, I had a meeting uh, just yesterday with the Russian ambassador to London, you know, and he confirmed, as you have said, uh, that President Putin and President Xi will be meeting at the start of the Winter Olympic Games in Beijing. Uh, and actually, I, I, that's often been um, thought of as a reason why there won't be action from Russia until at least the Beijing Winter Games are over, because he won't want to um, detract from his friend's showpiece uh, Olympics taking place in uh, Beijing. But definitely, Moscow and Beijing are much closer than than perhaps they were previously. A different view, though, from Charles Parton, who's worked in and on China for much of his 37-year career as a diplomat. Some people are also saying that the Chinese regime is watching to see what will happen in Ukraine to decide whether to make a move in Taiwan. What are your thoughts on that? I'm not sure I follow the logic of that. I mean, um, China has its own policies and own, own ambitions and own motivations towards Taiwan. Um, and, I, and I don't see that uh, it, it will necessarily um, you know, conclude that, however, that, that invasion eventuates, um, that, that that must affect its, its policy. Uh, I, I think, uh, actually, it's probably not very keen that um, Russia invade Ukraine. Um, it's destabilizing our world. It's going to push the world economy. It would push the world economy into a lot of problems, and, and the Chinese economy has sufficient problems to deal with already without adding any more. Problems that the Chinese regime will likely try to cover up as it hosts the Olympic Games in Beijing. Jane Worrell, NTD News, London. The Kremlin has accused the U.S. of fueling tensions in the ongoing Russia-Ukraine conflict. This after Washington said it would send 3,000 extra troops to Poland and Romania. NTD's Joanna Conway brings us this report. Communication between the U.S. and Russia has soured even further. It comes after Washington said it would deploy an additional 3,000 troops in Eastern Europe, a move the Kremlin described as stoking tensions. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov denounced the deployments in a conference call with reporters. It's clear these are not the steps to de-escalate tensions. 
On the contrary, these actions lead to elevate these tensions. Russia has built up tens of thousands of troops near its borders, stoking fears of a looming attack, a claim Russian President Vladimir Putin repeatedly denies. The Kremlin is asking to obtain a set of security guarantees from the West, including not to allow Ukraine to join the Western military bloc. Putin said on Tuesday the West had ignored Russia's main concerns and accused the United States of trying to lure it into war, though he said Russia was still interested in dialogue. The White House said this week extra troops would shield Eastern Europe from a potential spillover from the Ukrainian crisis. Joanna Conway, NTD News. And as you've just heard, Russian President Vladimir Putin is set to travel to Beijing on Friday to meet with Chinese leader Xi Jinping. The visit intends to bolster ties between the two nations and coordinate their policies in the face of Western pressure over the ongoing tension between Russia and Ukraine. Other topics on the table will include gas supply as well as joint security issues. It's the first in-person meeting between the two leaders since 2019. Here's more. Russian President Vladimir Putin and Chinese regime leader Xi Jinping are scheduled to meet in Beijing on Friday. The meeting comes amid the soaring tensions over Ukraine and are intended to help strengthen Moscow's ties with China. Yuri Ushakov, Putin's foreign affairs advisor, said that Putin's visit would mark a new stage in the Russia-China partnership. He described it as a key factor contributing to a sustainable global development and helping counter destructive activities by certain countries. A joint statement has been prepared on the foreign affairs entering a new era of global sustainable development ahead of the talks. The statement will reflect views shared by Russia and China on the most critical global issues, including security problems. He particularly emphasized that China backs Russia in the current standoff over Ukraine. Even more importantly, maybe, Beijing supports Russia's demands for security guarantees. China shares our view that one country's safety cannot be secured at the expense of another country's safety. He said that officials from the two countries are set to sign more than a dozen agreements on trade, energy and other issues. One topic for discussion is the possibility of a new gas pipeline through Mongolia from Russia to China. Ushakov said serious efforts were being undertaken to create a joint financial infrastructure that would be resistant to sanctions. Even though Moscow and Beijing in the past rejected the possibility of forging a military alliance, Putin has said that such a prospect can't be ruled out. After the meeting, Putin will attend Friday's Winter Olympics opening ceremony. Faye Quarter, NTD News. The European Union wants investments in some gas and nuclear power plants to be labeled as sustainable. The move is dividing member countries, as Austria and others say they are considering legal action. Environmentalists decry the move as greenwashing that will put the EU's climate goals at risk. Here's NTD's Coast Temenez with more. The European Commission is proposing to include nuclear energy and natural gas in its plan for the EU's Green Investor Rulebook. The labeling system will define what qualifies as an investment in sustainable energy in the 27-nation bloc. So today we're setting out how gas and nuclear could make a contribution in the difficult transition to climate neutrality. We're putting in place strict conditions for their inclusion in the taxonomy. 
Under the proposal, gas plants must switch to run on low-carbon gases by 2035, while new nuclear plants must be located in a country with a plan to safely dispose of radioactive waste by 2050. The EU taxonomy is designed to help raise massive amounts of private capital to meet the EU's climate change targets. The plan has come under fire from some EU governments, who are divided over whether the fuels should count as green. Austria and others say they are considering legal action to challenge the inclusion of nuclear. McGuinness says it was the right compromise. There is no get out of jail uh, here for nuclear or gas. We are saying very clearly that these are instruments in transition to allow us get to where we need to be, which is more and more renewables. Environmentalists also aren't happy, calling the plan a big blow to the EU's climate goals. What this is going to do is it's going to channel billions of euros away from renewable energies and towards dirty climate projects. The European Parliament and Member States have four months to object to the rules. Costa Menes, NTD News. And the fourth largest crypto heist on record. Cyber criminals broke into a crypto platform called Wormhole and made off with around $320 million. But surprisingly, Wormhole developers say they managed to get the funds back. Wormhole is a popular bridge linking two of the world's biggest blockchains, Ethereum and Solana. Crypto holders often don't operate on just one blockchain, so they need bridges to link one chain to another. Apparently, hackers made off with 120,000 digital tokens from Wormhole. But later, Wormhole said all the stolen funds had been restored and the platform was back up and running. It's unclear how the funds were retrieved. Wormhole says it'll release an incident report later. Blockchain analytics firm Elliptic says Wormhole offered the hackers a $10 million bounty to return the stolen funds. Also, we're still seeing historically high prices for both new and used cars this year. And experts predict those prices could stick around for much of 2022. We take a look at what's driving up the cost and when buyers could catch a break. A shortage of parts, limited production, and surging demand for both new and used cars. It's all driving consumers to pay record sky-high prices for those few cars that dealerships have available. Driving that is some of the shift toward trucks and SUVs and higher contented vehicles. But at the same time, because of this lack of inventory, dealers are not required to discount at all. According to J.D. Power, the average transaction price for a new car was over $45,000 last December. That's up 29% from 2019. And according to Edmonds, prices for used cars ended the year with an average price of nearly $30,000. That's up 29% from a year earlier. If you were trying to find a reasonably priced used car, because the car you have is just conked out, it's going to be much difficult. So when can buyers catch a break? Experts say availability could start to increase as production starts to come back online and the supply of car parts improves. It's not just microchips that we're seeing shortages of. We're seeing resin used in paint, we're seeing tire shortages, and even wiring harnesses, and on and on. J.D. Power forecasts the average wholesale price of used cars could fall about 9% from the fourth quarter of 2021 to the fourth quarter of this year. But that won't get prices to where they were before the pandemic. In 2023, we'll, we'll expect prices to start to come down, but I don't expect to see a return to the old days. 
J.D. Power says they've seen a rapid shift in the kind of vehicles consumers are buying, with more looking at more expensive luxury cars, trucks, SUVs, and electric vehicles. And coming up, a wildlife park in the U.K. is celebrating the birth of a baby southern koala. It's the first of the species born in the country and all of Europe. That and more on NTD News. A wildlife park in the UK is welcoming a special bundle of joy, a baby southern koala. Keepers and carers there are celebrating its milestone arrival. It's the first of the species born in the country, as well as the first in all of Europe. Let's take a closer look. A new baby koala has finally ventured out of its mother's pouch. It was born six months ago at the UK's Longleat Safari Park. Its birth came as a milestone not only for the country, but also for all of Europe. First one at Longleat, and um, it's the first koala being born in England for a long time, and then the first uh, southern koala uh, probably ever in Europe. Breeders weren't prepared for the new arrival, since their attention was focused on another potential mating pair. To learn more about koalas, the park is working with the University of Nottingham and wildlife authorities in Australia. Koalas are a very complicated animal. They suffer with uh, an awful lot of threats in the wild, from illness and, and disease to, sadly, the catastrophic uh, effects we saw of the bushfires in early 2020. And just from the time that the koalas have been here at the park, we've already helped that research going forward. Breeders haven't settled on a name for the tiny new resident. That's because they can't yet tell if it's a boy or a girl. The baby koala will remain attached to its mother for several months, so visitors will be able to observe their special bond for a while longer. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.